that today, how it pertains to us in the church and the world. And, and I, but I think we can all agree that that's a thing that none of us really like, right? We don't like being tricked or faked out by someone. So we're in uh, the parables of Jesus. And the word parable, it just means to, to throw alongside. Okay, so Jesus would use parables as um, a way of, of driving home a point. So, you know, when you explain something and you go, well... It's like when you go to the grocery store, and then we can all go, oh, okay, I can relate to that, right? So parables are, are, are a way for him to further explain a point, and sometimes we can get a little confused or lost in the, in, in the parable itself and miss the main point. But he would use parables that made sense to the audience that he was speaking to at the time. And at this particular juncture, he's talking to a bunch of people who have an agricultural background, and so he's using examples that they would understand. Now, if you're like me, I have a black thumb, anything, if you want it to die, give it to me and I'll take care of it. Not kids, but, you know, anything <laughs> plant-like. So far, we have a pretty good track record with our kids. But, but uh, Pastor Chris started this series a couple weeks ago with the parable of the sower. And you, m- you may remember, uh, it, it, he, Jesus gave the example of the sower. He goes out, he tosses seed, and there's different types of soil. And uh, some places, the, the plant doesn't take root because the birds come and take it away. Some places it takes root, but it doesn't last very long. It doesn't have a deep foundation or root. In other places it grows fruitfully. Uh, And so he's going to continue sort of that same line of reasoning and thinking uh, this week. Before we we get into our main text, I want to read you just a couple verses to kind of keep in the back of your mind as we study this. Uh, It's Ephesians 6, verse 12, says that, "...for our struggle is not against flesh and blood." but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And 1 Peter 5.8 kind of goes a little bit further. It says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And so the reason I point those two verses out is that The Lord is working to bring people into his kingdom. That's what that first parable was all about. And Satan is working to keep people out. All right? The Lord is working, so is Satan. And we don't always see it on a a surface level, but there are some signs and some hints. And that's what we're going to cover a little bit today. Satan is a deceiver, he's a counterfeiter, and he's working against the work that Jesus is doing to get folks into his kingdom. So we're going to start in Matthew 13, verse 24. It says, He presented another parable to them. He said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up, the servants asked him. No, he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Now we're going to skip forward a few verses because Jesus actually helps us out and interprets this parable for us. Right? He tells us what this parable means. In verse 36, he says, He left the crowds, he went into the house, and 
his disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness, and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. So this parable has been called many things over the years. It's the parable of the tares, which is just another word for weeds. Uh, the parable of the grain and the weeds. Uh, we're calling it the parable of the posers. Uh, because that's really what he's alluding to. So Jesus, he doesn't leave this one open to interpretation. He, he makes it pretty clear what it's about. And, and prior to his explanation, because we skipped forward a few verses to get that explanation... Prior to that, he tells a couple of shorter parables that we're going to cover as well. A parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And, and all of those kind of support the same thought process, the same line, uh, line of reasoning. And all of it is to point out that Satan is at work, like we said. And these parables tell us about the, the tactics that he uses. Okay, his, his job, he's the father of lies. His, his job is to plant falsehood. And, and specifically, he's seeking to infiltrate the church. He's a terrorist, is what he is. You know, when you're seeking to take down something good, something that's been built, what better way to do it than from the inside? Right? That's how a terrorist works. So we're going to learn a little bit about his tactics, but Jesus is also using this to instruct us uh, the church on how to handle it, uh, what our tactics are to be in the face of enemy infiltration into the church, into our own hearts, and in our own lives. Okay, so with all that said, let's pray and then we'll see if we can break all this stuff down. Jesus, we thank you for giving us the opportunity today to study your word uh, and to worship and fellowship together. We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth of that you've put here in plain view for us, Lord, that, um, that we could leave here today knowing you better than when we arrived. And Jesus, all of us, um, myself included, we have sin in our lives that, uh, that uh, makes it hard for us to hear your voice, that clouds our judgment and our thinking. And Lord, we just pray that you would forgive us, cleanse us of all of that today, that we could be uh, in direct communication with you. And... Uh, and Lord, that uh, we would be changed by your word and your spirit. So we pray for your blessing on the message and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 13, we're going to go back to verse 24 and kind of break this down a little bit. It says, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while the people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds or tares among the wheat and left. So like I said, in the first parable of this chapter, the parable of the sower, the seed was the word of God and the soil was the different types of people. And, and this time, Jesus already told us, it's, uh, the field is the world. 
and the good seed are, are true believers, people who uh, have sincerely trusted Jesus for eternal life, they're trying to follow him. And so believers are the good seed, right? They're planted in the world specifically to bring forth fruit, to produce something nourishing, right? That, that's why we're here. And Satan sees this, and being a counterfeiter, sows weeds uh, among, among the wheat. And specifically, it's, it's tares. It's, uh, there's this particular weed in the, the Middle East then as now. It's called the bearded Darnell. I'm sorry if your name is Darnell and you have a beard. This isn't necessarily about you. But the bearded Darnell looks, looks like wheat. And it's only when the wheat begins to mature that the difference is discernible. And by that point, it's already, you know, it's already there. What are you going to do? The problem is, is that the, the tear, this tear, this bearded darnel, if it's harvested, it produces a seed that's poisonous. It will pollute the entire crop. So you've got to be, you've got to deal with it somehow at some point. You know, the Bible tells us that, that Satan loves to masquerade as, as an angel of light. Uh, he likes to pre pretend to be something that he's not. That's his whole thing. According to Scripture, he plants uh, false saviors, false ministers, false gospels, false prophets, false doctrine, even false miracles. Jesus talks about uh, at the judgment seat, there are people that that say, Lord, didn't we do these great things in your name? Didn't we even perform miracles in your name? And he'll say, yeah, but you weren't one of mine. You never knew me, right? So apparently he can, he can pull off false miracles even. So how do you tell the difference? How do you tell the real from the counterfeit? It's tricky. And I've talked to some folks in, in the bank that every now and then they'll run across counterfeit bills. And they have ways of detecting it, but most of the time it's caught by the, peop the tellers because they handle so much of the real currency that as soon as they feel one that's not real, they notice. And then there's this, you know, ways that they check it. But so how do, how do you know the true from the counterfeit? It's by, it's by knowing the truth really well, right? So you can spot it quickly. I had... Uh, I, you know, I have guitars, plural, and my wife likes to give me a hard time, like, why do you need more guitars? I say, why do you need more shoes? And then the conversation kind of stops. But, <laughs> but I, I found a, a guitar here recently. It was a Gibson model that I'm, you know, really interested in. And at first glance, it looked like what it claimed to be. But if you checked really close on the logo, it was a Chipson yeah, uh, I, you know, I still thought about buying it. But anyway, it's, I, I could tell uh, the, the false from the true because I know what the true looks like. And so if you study the Word of God like we're, we're instructed to do, right, to study, show ourselves approved, ready to give a defense for our faith and, and you know, that we would not be ashamed. If we study the Word and we know the truth, then we can identify things that look like the truth but are a little bit off. Right, for instance, there are, uh, different religions and faiths that will say things that, that sound like Christianity, but when they say that you can 
you know, you can become your own God. Well, we hold, no, no, that doesn't go right. That doesn't go down right because there's only one God and there's only one name under heaven by which men are saved. Or that, uh, you know, you can become so good that you can earn heaven. Well, Jesus says that there's none righteous, not one. That can't be right. So it's important that we know the truth, right? But apparently that's, that's not enough because there are people who know the truth who still get deceived. We'll read on a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at one of these other parables. Matthew 13, verse 31. It says, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And so Jesus, he says, he uses another agricultural example. He talks about the mustard seed and this thing's going to grow. Now, I've, some people will kind of spiritualize this and say, well, he's saying that, you know, with God, anything's possible and this little plant grows into something huge. Okay. The problem is that a mustard seed never becomes a tree. Okay. To us, that, that, that just sounds like, oh, it grows really big. But they don't become trees. This is like saying, so a little cat or a little kitten grew to be a Rottweiler. That doesn't happen. Something unnatural, something unintended would have to happen. And so Jesus is basically telling them, he says, my kingdom is going to grow large, yes. And that's it, that is intended. But it's going to become something that it wasn't meant to be. As a matter of fact, it's, you know, it's going to grow so large that he says that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now that sounds pretty, except that in the previous parable, he, he told us what birds of the sky are supposed to represent. Okay, we'll go back and look real quick. Matthew 13, verse 3. He says, He told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower. This is the one Pastor Chris preached a couple weeks ago. <coughs> uh, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into his heart. Okay, so the birds are the, the emissaries of Satan that come and keep your mind distracted and, and you don't understand, you don't trust in Jesus. So these, these birds are going to come and nest in the branches of this plant that became something it wasn't supposed to be. So basically what he's saying is that the church is going to grow large enough and powerful enough and wealthy enough that at the top, what is evil attracted to? Power and wealth and influence, right? And the church is going to be, become powerful enough, influential enough, and wealthy enough that evil will be attracted to it and want to become a part of it especially at the top. And so if we go back through church history, um, we can see people throughout history have become associated with the church at high positions of power and influence and done awful things in the name of Jesus. And these are people that probably should not have been where they were at. 
So he tells another parable to, to continue this line of reasoning. Verse 33, Matthew 13, verse 33, he says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Leaven is just yeast, right? And so Jesus, he says, there's, this kingdom is being planted and grown, and we've got to be careful because evil and is, is going to be attracted to the power and the influence that it will wield. But also, we have to be careful that something small and seemingly insignificant may work its way in and affect everything. You know, in Matthew 16, he warns his disciples about the, the leaven of the Pharisees and, and I love the the disciples. They're like, what's wrong with their bread? And he's like, I wasn't talking about bread, dummy. I mean, he doesn't say dummy, but I I think it was inferred. He says, I'm I'm referring to the teaching of the Pharisees. And so he's warning, basically, he says, a a little bit of bad doctrine, just a little bit of untruth is going to work its way in, and it's going to infect everything. We've got to be careful of that. Because, you know, the first lie, the first untruth that we see in Scripture is just a little one. Just a little twist. Eve's looking at the fruit, and she says that, well, God said that if we eat of this, we will surely die. And, and the serpent says, oh, no, if you eat of that, you will surely not die. Just a little twist. But it, cha- it changed everything. And so he's warning of this, a little bit of bad doctrine is going to work its way in, and it's going to affect lots of things. And we see this in the early stages of the church. There were uh, there was a movement of the Gnostic Christians. These were people that uh, believed that Jesus was a created being, that he wasn't really God, right? And so John, the Apostle John, writes the Gospel of John, and he addresses that right off the bat. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. I want to clear that one up, right? Paul, he experienced another infection that worked its way into the church, and that these, this was the, the Judaizers. These were Jewish people who became Christians, and after a time thought, you know, if you want to really be a Christian, you need to also follow the law. And they started to teach that as truth. And so Paul wrote this letter, Galatians, to address it. In Galatians 1, verse 6, he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, this is a different gospel. Yes, you believe in Jesus, but you believe in Jesus plus something. Not that there is another gospel. He says, there are some who are troubling you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Later in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth. This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. He says, by adding just a little something, you pollute the whole thing. If I gave you a muffin and said, don't worry, only 1% of it is poison. I I would avoid the muffin, to say it. So it's poss- is it possible, though, because so, this isn't all about all churches are infected and ruined and everybody in leadership is evil and wrong because I'm one of the people in church leadership, so, you know, I don't want to take everybody out. Although, Pastor Chris isn't here today. 
But here's the thing I would, I would ask. Is it, is it possible that you've let a little something into your life? A little something small, seemingly insignificant, that might be infecting your faith. Maybe you've got your own little picture of what is good and right, and you judge other people by it. Or, or you've convinced yourself that something is right that really isn't. Maybe you've got a weakness that the devil's taking advantage of. You know, if you've got a, a problem with jealousy or, or envy, and now you constantly notice what other people have that you think you deserve. Or maybe, maybe it's something as simple as forgiveness is hard for you. And so the devil loves to remind you of every hurt that someone ever caused you over and over. Those are little things that affect everything. Well, Lifeway is a Christian organization. They did a study recently of Americans. It's a little over 80-some percent of the population. Uh, Americans who identify themselves as Christians. And of these people, uh, 40% said they never pray. 65% said they never or rarely pray with others. 65% rarely or never attend worship services. 67% never read the Bible. 68% said their faith is not important to their daily lives or decisions. Here's the one that blows my mind. Of the 80-some percent of Americans who identify as Christian, 50% said that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Which is kind of one of the things that, what is the thing that makes you a Christian? So we need to study and be vigilant, know the truth, but apparently that's not enough. The servants of the landowner, they were vigilant. They were vigilant enough to, to recognize the presence of the weeds. So we'll go back Matthew 13, verse 27. It says, The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? And the enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him, No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles and burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Here's the thing. If we try to uproot all the weeds, we will destroy the crops as well. Right? That's what he says. So if you consider the history of the church, the church over the centuries has tried to force obedience and tried to force faithfulness. These are things like the Crusades and the Inquisition. Those things actually hurt the cause of Christ. A lot of damage has been done in the name of God. But on a smaller, local, practical level, when we try to fix people, we hurt people. Right? When you try to fix your spouse, when you try to fix your friend, when you try to fix your family, you just end up hurting them. 
And the servants, they have good motives, right? They, they say, there are weeds, we need to do something. And they're right. If there's evil present, why, master, would you not deal with it? And that's a question that a lot of people have asked. As a matter of fact, before I trusted in Jesus, before I became a Christian, that was the question I love to ask other Christians. If there's a good God, why would he allow all this evil in the world? That's a fair question. What I didn't want to consider, though, is, okay, if you're not in the light, where are you? You're in the dark. What I didn't want to consider when I would ask that question is, well, I'm, I'm part of the evil, right? You just, we just judge evil on a graduated scale, but I was, I was part of that evil. The real answer to why God allows evil in the world, and this is a much deeper subject than I can cover in the next minute or so, but for now, we'll say this. The, the reason that God allows evil in the world is that God loves you so much that he's unwilling to destroy you right now. Because among all that evil, there are still some who will trust in Jesus and be cleansed. And so he's going to allow everyone every last opportunity. So yeah, there are counterfeits in the world. There are counterfeits in the church. But there are real Christians too. There are real people who have really trusted in Jesus. And God says, I'm going to let them coexist so that every bit of good fruit has an opportunity to mature and to be harvested. Verse 40 says, Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. And here's the key Thing. He says, let anyone who has ears listen. Okay, this isn't a scary warning thing, he's saying. All of this is because I'm giving everyone to the very last second, every opportunity to trust me. God's restraint is not the same as God's approval. Right? He, he's absolutely going to judge all sin. But that's his job, and we're called to be witnesses and not, not judges. He's going to deal with it, but at the right time. So that's not to say that we shouldn't care about it. But when, something is, when, when something's obviously corrupt, we, we should deal with it. But Jesus cares more about planting seed and bearing fruit than he does about pulling weeds. Because tares and wheat, they look identical in the beginning, and our job is to love and nurture both and let him do his job. I mean, think about it. Aren't you glad that only he decides who gets eternal life? Aren't you glad your wife doesn't get to make the call whether you go to heaven or not? Robert Johnson sang a song. He said, if I had possession over Judgment Day, that woman of mine wouldn't have no right to pray. <laughs> First Corinthians 4, verse 5, it says, So don't judge anything prematurely. Before the Lord comes, who will bring 
bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. Then praise will come to each one from God. Okay, so the, the point of all this, this is not a, oh, judge not, lest you be judged sermon. This is a judge yourself message. Are you spending enough time with the truth that you are adequately equipped to recognize the counterfeit when it appears? So is it possible that maybe this, you needed this parable to, to push you to, to stop planning to read the Bible and actually just start reading the Bible? Right? We're at a good time of year to, Kevin talked about resolutions earlier. You know, you could, you could start a reading plan. Or maybe you need some incentive to, to draw on God's strength and through real daily prayer. Is it, is it time that you became intentional about growing in your faith? Maybe, maybe through beginning to serve in some way. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter talks about a way to judge ourselves, to test ourselves, see where we're at. Kind of a a health assessment. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Right? So he's assuming, okay, you've trusted Jesus for eternal life. You have faith. So make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing Measure, right? These things should be growing. They keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. In other words, it's, it's time, no matter where you're at in your walk with, with God, it is time to take another step. It is time to grow a little more in one of those areas, or all of those areas. So there's, there's that challenge. The other thing I want you to kind of take away from this is remember that when we try to fix people, we just hurt people. Right? We can work on fixing ourselves, but when we try to fix other people, we just end up hurting them. Have you ever tried to force things? Ever, no one has ever been argued or badgered into loving you. No one's ever been argued or badgered into faith. So the test on that one is, is do you discuss things or do you argue? Do you discuss or do you argue? And finally, there's only, there's only one judgment that counts. And only one judge who's qualified. So are there posers in our lives? Yep. Are there posers in the church? Let's check. Okay, look to your left. Now look to your right. Which one's the poser? Don't point. (laughs) It was the one in the middle. All right, myself included. All of us are, we're putting up a front in some area, right? We, we deceive ourselves into, into thinking that this thing in my life is okay, it's not a big deal. So there are posers, yes, but uh, 
John 5, verse 24, it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who here will live, but just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus alone has the power to judge each and every one of us. Every one of us will, will be judged. Every one of us will be found lacking in some way. But what will matter is whether you are a counterfeit or genuine believer. Have you trusted Jesus for eternal life? If you have, are you faking it somewhere else? Trying to fake it till you make it? It's time to take a step. If you haven't, he says, he who hears the gospel and believes has eternal life. That's it. It's not adding anything else to it. No matter what your vision, your idea of what a Christian is, it is have you trusted Jesus for eternal life or not? And you can do that right now, wherever you are. As simple as that. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much. That you talk to us in ways that we would understand. You put things in simple terms for simple people. And you made a simple gospel to solve a very complicated problem. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you provided a way for us to have eternal life through you by trusting you for it. We pray that there, if there's anyone listening right now that has not trusted you or that your spirit would work within theirs, that they would see that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you've made a way for them to have eternal life, that they would simply trust you for it. For everyone else, if we've, uh, Lord, that for all of us that have trusted you already, and we've been faking it, you know it. We've been faking it in some part of our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would quit being posers, and that uh, our faith would, uh, that you would, we would grow in it. We would learn some new part of our walk with you and grow closer to you through it. Lord, we pray for a blessing on the ministries here, on the hearts of your people. We pray that you come and come quickly. We pray these things in your beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, y'all, ready? Break. Break.